Man, I uh, maybe Taylor should just preach. I I don't know if I'm going to be able to top that because that's just amazing. I mean, when God, uh, maybe if I can get my notes to pop up. Thank you. Wow, technology. Um, you know what? I need my cell phone. Sorry, guys. When you don't have internet, I promise this is okay. It'll just take a little bit longer to get through my sermon. There's things called tethering, which are effective. And when, man, I'll get here, I promise. Maybe I should just say something meaningful instead. So, guys, how are you doing? Seriously, I can't, we've never had this many people in church before. Okay, we've never had this many people and... Last Christmas, it was actually our second service ever, I think. And there was like, remember when there was like, can- those of you that were there, there was like candles everywhere on the floor and they were in jars. And it was, uh, it was awful. Um, it, 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 well, I mean, okay. Well, it, it was, but like you would think when you put a candle in a jar that people would see it. And like you, you just... Um, they kept getting kicked over. Like, it was, it, was, it was probably one of the worst ideas we had. But we, it was one of those where you don't know it's the worst idea you've had until, long, until after you attempt it, right? Um, okay. Connected to the Internet via hotspot. I knew I had a good backup. Okay. Um, so let me try this one more time. <laughs> I had the privilege of trying to follow up that amazing worship set. I have the privilege of trying to follow up that amazing introduction, and it's going to be tough. I, I, I hope that I can do, do it justice, but I get, I'm so excited to be closing out our series on the names of God this weekend, and we get to cover, as Taylor said, as um, I think Chris mentioned it too, Emmanuel, God with us. And I believe with all my heart, you guys, that Christmas is, should be one of the most exciting times to be in church, one of the most exciting times to preach. And it's not because, like, my family, like, 90 of them were forced to show up. Uh, Although I do appreciate it. But let's face it, guys. They couldn't possibly turn down an opportunity to hear their son, son son-in-law, grandson preach on Christmas. You just, you can't do it. So they're forced to show up. I appreciate it very much. I'm sure it has nothing to do with 2.0 and Holly getting married after church. Sure, it has nothing to do with that at all, especially the, those of you that are, don't even live in Illinois, right? You definitely showed up for me. Um, but we're really excited for Icon Holly, too. It is so, it, this is probably the best weekend we've ever had by far. And it's mostly, I think, because my brother's getting married to an amazing girl. But, but first, first we're going to talk about Jesus, and I hope it's going it's to be awesome. And um, see, those are great things, like family showing up, family traditions, your brother getting married, uh, but it's, it's the best time of the year to preach because we get to talk about the one child that changed everything. Just, just listen to what was said about him. Uh, so first of all, my wife and I were expecting our first child, if you didn't know. And we've been married for about three years, and our baby son, our son, I love saying that. My son is due in April, and it's becoming more real to me. But think back, think back, parents, those of you that have kids, to the first time that very first child showed up. It changed everything, didn't it? Somebody please nod or raise your hand. Okay, th- 
Good grief, you guys. <laughs> Those of you that are parents, okay. Now we're, now we're, now we're, now we're going. Um, and everyone around you told you, like, through those nine months, they're like, oh, it's going to change everything. Oh, just you wait. It's going to change everything. They were prophesying over you. Even the ones that weren't saved, they were prophesying over you. And it came true, right? It changed everything. And, and, and while that child, your child changed everything for you and your very tiny section of the universe, this child changed everything for all people in all places, in every period of history before, during, and after him. This is a different level of a child showing up on the scene and changing everything. And you have to, if you don't believe me, you have to listen to what was said about him. This is not my opinion. This is what actual people that lived and died on this earth said about him. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this last part is actually my favorite. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So, guys, don't skip over the last part, because that statement should make no sense to any of us. For the first time in history, government power and peace will increase together without end. The reason that shouldn't make sense to you is because we all know by looking at history and especially the time period that we live in that when government power increases past a certain point, the peace evaporates pretty quickly, right? It just, it just does. So only someone that can pull off power and peace can be called the prince of peace. Somebody please say amen to that one, please. Okay, how about um, when the angel of the Lord was speaking to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, and he tells him, hey, your wife Mary, she will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You guys, this is way more than an awesome holiday. It's eternity on the line. It's the salvation of mankind on the line. John 1.14 says, the word, that is Jesus, became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love the message translation for this verse especially. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Yes. Can you imagine for just a second if Jesus moved into your neighborhood? It would change everything, wouldn't it? It would change everything. And you know what the craziest part of that is? He already has moved into your neighborhood. Do you know why? Because you are there. If you are a child of God and God is with you, as the name Emmanuel definitely suggests, then he is most definitely already in your neighborhood. And that's a whole entire series into itself, and we'll probably get to it at some point, I'm sure. But it's crazy to think about that kind of potential. We hear about Emmanuel a lot around Christmas, and as we should, but where does it come from? There are only three places in scripture where this name is used. It's crazy because we think about it so much during Christmas, you think, oh, it's got to be everywhere. It's really not. Two times in Isaiah, one time in Matthew, and we're going we're gonna to look at those pieces of scripture really quick, but before I do, I got to tell you what was going on. So the two mentions of Emmanuel and Isaiah were taking place in a time in history when the Assyrian Empire was threatening to take over the kingdom of Israel, and the king at the time, his name was Ahaz, was freaked out, 
as he should have been. And so he knew that Isaiah was a prophet and a man of God. And he said, Isaiah, um, can you please go talk to God and, and ask him for help and, and make sure you ask him for a sign, okay? And Isaiah says, okay. And he goes to talk to God. And God does answer and God does give him a sign, but he leaves off the date. And maybe it's because Ahaz didn't ask for a date on the, <laughs> on the salvation, but uh, I think it was because God had other plans. Let's, let's read a little bit about what that answer from God was. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Okay, Ahaz will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This prophecy, this exact verse, is actually quoted again in Matthew chapter 1 when Matthew, as he was writing, is saying, hey guys, this baby that I'm talking about in Matthew chapter 1, this Jesus, that's Emmanuel. And the only other time it's mentioned is in Isaiah chapter 8, 7 through 10, and we're going to read this because personally, I've never heard this verse ever during Christmas, even though it has the name Emmanuel. And if we're going to study the name, we need to study all of it, okay? Amen, somebody on that one. So here's what it says. This ties in the Assyrians a little bit more. It says, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, that is the Euphrates River, mighty and many, the kings of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Let's stop there for a second. This picture that Isaiah is talking about is actually talking about the Assyrian Empire literally sweeping across Israel and on into the kingdom of Judah, taking out everything in its path. Which is weird to talk about that kind of devastation and then end the statement with, O Emmanuel, right? Because if there's complete devastation of God's people, how do you then use that special name of God that says God with us? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Well, we've got to keep reading. Be broken, you peoples, be sh and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, and it will not stand, for God is with us. Here's what this is saying. You guys aren't excited enough yet. Here's what this is saying. The Assyrians definitely win the battle. We know that from history, but God most definitely wins the war. Okay. That last passage in Isaiah 8, you guys, it's not exactly as warm and fuzzy as the one in Isaiah 7. And that's probably why we leave it out when we talk about Emmanuel at Christmas. And I'm not trying to, to bash anyone else or any other approach to preaching on Christmas. I'm not saying we can't talk about the stable and the wise men and the star in the east. But I do think we are responsible to some extent for dumbing down the story just a little bit. We're all responsible because we tend to limit the discussion, I think, at least in my experience, we tend to limit the discussion to the things that we sing about in Christmas carols and see in Christmas paintings or in Christmas nativity scenes or watch in Christmas TV specials. And that's not the whole story. Brennan Manning articulates this way better, a thousand times better than I ever could this exact thought that I'm trying to communicate, and he doesn't need tethering and an iPad to do it. He just writes it in a book, so I'm going to read it. I love this. He says, Christianity down through the centuries has prettified the babe of Bethlehem. 
trivialize divine scandal into gingerbread creations, sentimentalize the smells of the stable into dignified pageant, robbed Christmas of its shock value, reduced the crib to a tame theological symbol. When in reality, the shipwrecked at the stable, that's you and me, the shipwrecked at the stable tremble in adoration of the Christ child and quake at the inbreak of God, the Almighty. The shipwrecked at the stable tremble in adoration of the Christ child and quake at the inbreak of God, the Almighty. That's Christmas. That's Emmanuel. It's not just some God showing up on the scene. It's God, the Almighty, showing up on the scene. Oh, that this position, do you see the position of humility in that last sentence? Oh, that we would model this position as we live our lives. Oh, that we would quake at the inbreak of God, the Almighty. But that's just it, right? We don't always do that. We can talk about how we believe in God, but my question to you is, which version of God do you live like you believe in? Okay? Heidi talked about this. Chris talked about this. We all kind of talked about this. This next part, before we talk about God with us, I promise we'll get to it, but we need to talk about the God part for a second. And I know we've spent six weeks talking about different names of God for those of you that have been here. But uh, I need to zoom out for the visitors and also for our own goods, our own heart, okay? We need to zoom out to kind of the 10,000-foot level because there are, in my observation, two caricatures of God that we tend to, especially as Christians, push God into, neither of which are correct. Okay? These aren't anywhere in the Bible, and 99% of Christians would probably not believe in these versions of God either. But that's the problem. They don't believe. We don't believe in these versions of God, but we definitely live our lives like we do. The first one, the huge, all-powerful, distant God. Okay, so I always get this image of, like, Zeus from Mount Olympus or, that, like, that Disney movie. Uh, in my head, and um, this God is very powerful, okay? He's very powerful, which is good, but he's really far away. He can do anything at any time if he really wants to, but he's really far away somewhere in, like, outer space, like he lives in outer space somewhere, okay? And he's really busy, too. I mean, if you think about the universe, there's, like, planets, and stars, I'm going to go a bit sciencey on you for a second, planets and stars and solar systems and galaxies, and they're all kind of like swirling around each other, and somebody's got to keep all that stuff straight because it, something will collide, and sometimes it does. We just hope that our little piece of the universe doesn't get in any danger. And then there's really complex physics going on. There's quantum mechanics, and there's quasars and pulsars and black holes and supernova, and your eyes are glassing over because... You can't find any of that stuff interesting, and that's fine, but, good, good. But think about it, guys. If all that stuff has to be kept straight by somebody, and it's God, and if he's, man, that's got to take a lot of his time and energy, right, to keep all that stuff straight. And then let's zoom down to just our planet. There's all these complex ecosystems that hang in this fragile balance, and God's most precious creation seems to do everything it can to ruin all of that, Okay? So that's got to take a lot of his time and energy, too, because he's got to make sure that we don't blow up our own planet. 
Or what about those people in your life, those families that you know, that you're friends with? This is going to hurt some of you. I know it is. But I promise you I'm going to encourage you in the end. <laughs> if I have enough time. Uh, <laughs> there's these families in your life that have the perfect life, in your eyes at least. They have a nice house. They have nice cars. They have very well-behaved kids. Oh, man, if only I could have well-behaved kids. Everything would be perfect, right? And they just, they're not necessarily, like, happy all the time, but they're just, joy just, like, comes overflowing out of them wherever they go. Nothing seems to rattle them. And you're just, you're like, oh, man, those people, they have, like, this perfect life. And God, I'm sure, like, I know how, we all know how difficult life is. And so for someone to have that perfect of a life, God has to be spending a huge amount of time and resources, a huge amount of time and blessing on that particular family or that particular family to keep that perfect life going. And so by the time he gets around to me, there isn't a whole lot of time or blessing left for me. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like Emmanuel, though. I mean, he loves us, right? He's capable of making a huge impact, but it seems to be minimal because he's got so much time doing all those other things. So we come to church most Sundays, and maybe we even give a little and serve a little. But for all intents and purposes, following a God that has minimal impact on our lives doesn't really end up costing us that much either, so we're good. We're good. But that doesn't sound like Emmanuel. Or what about the tiny angel on your shoulder, right? Or, or Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio, if you're more of a Disney person. Um, this, this God is very close to us, which is good. We like close, but he's very small. Which makes sense in our own human minds, right? Because we want the huge, all-powerful God to be close to us, but since we can't seem to rationalize that in our own heads, what we think is, well, I'm going to be crushed under the true weight of his glory and power, so I have to shrink him down so I can fit him on my shoulder. That's the only way. He's not very powerful, and quite frankly, he isn't really interested in being very powerful, but he loves us too. Like, he, he, he cares enough about us, but it doesn't go much deeper than sitting on our shoulder and giving us good advice. Again, there, there's minimal impact, but the things that he says, especially in that book that he wrote, seem to make sense most of the time, so we do them. But this still doesn't sound like Emmanuel. And regardless of which one you seem to identify with, and you're probably all in denial, that's fine. Regardless of which version you gravitate towards, I've met, met and seen so many people in this life that struggle in this area, and invariably they are doing just okay or pretty good. And most of the time they lack anything that resembles joy. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds like a great way to live your life. Again, none of us in this room would probably say we believe in those versions of God, and I'm willing to bet that most of us don't think we have an issue here. But if we were honest with ourselves for just one second, I think we would all admit that there are times when, much like those romanticized nativity scenes, we push God to the fringes of the picture or shrink him down to fit him on our shoulder. We would also probably admit that we wish our lives were different. We wish it was better than just okay. We wish it was better than just pretty good. The problem with that is we end up wanting all of the results without the impact. 
Let's leave Jesus and the Bible out of it for a second. Look, guys, when was the last time anything of any significance in this life didn't cost you something? That's not how the world works. Leave Jesus and the Bible out of it. That is not how the world works, and we all know it. So how come when it gets to Jesus in the Bible, we somehow have to change how the world works? It's tough to do because he created it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life waiting for all of the results without the impact. Don't waste your life waiting for all of the presence without the cost. It's not how the world works. Chris taught us last week, and I love this, about how King David had to wait five years. The impact, the cost was five years of waiting. Five years of being the anointed king before anything happened. Then he got the opportunity to kill Goliath, but that wasn't good enough. Saul was still the king then, the acting king. Saul would reign for ten more years, actually, before he would die in battle. So all told, David had to wait 15 years, a man after God's own heart. He was anointed king as a boy, and he had to wait 15 years as the anointed king before the result of that anointing came to pass, and he became the acting, reigning king of Israel. It was costly for David. It was costly for Jesus, and it will be costly for you. Okay. I've beaten up on you enough for one Christmas sermon. Now it's time for a thrill of hope. Amen. Okay, Emmanuel. Now, you guys, seriously, for those of you that didn't hear it, you need to go back and listen to Chris's message from last week. It's on the podcast. It's on the website. Chris, you did an incredible job last weekend. Can we please give it up for my, for my brother, Chris? One of the best sermons I've ever heard, brother. Honored to call you my friend. Um, I love how God planned it so that we would do Jehovah Shammah the weekend before Emmanuel, God with us. Because we didn't plan that. You were going to do a different name of God for a while. Many of you are thinking, for those of you that weren't here, we did The Lord Is There last weekend. And we're doing God is God with us this weekend. And many of you are probably thinking, like me even actually, isn't that a little redundant? Come on, come on, Church 214 teaching team. Don't waste our time. And while it's true that Chris and I would agree that there is some overlap there, I can promise you this. God does not waste our time. Every word in this book has a purpose, you guys. Every name of God has a purpose, and I can promise you that it is not redundant. In fact, Emmanuel is quite necessary. It's necessary. It was life-changing for me to study this name of God, and, and I pray that I can get out of the way just enough, especially with the tethering thing, to, for it to be life-changing for you. So, Emmanuel means God with us, or God is with us. Now, you've probably only ever heard, seen it with this not there. The is is not there. I'm going to say is a lot. I apologize. Because in the Hebrew, it actually means, Emmanuel translates literally, with us is God, or as Yoda might say it. Um, <laughs> and I always thought it was weird because as a kid, I would, we would hear 
and I, sorry, mom and dad, but as a kid, I would hear Emmanuel means God with us. And in my, like, this will give you a, a little insight into how my mind works, which will either be scary or funny or somewhere in between. Um, but I always thought the is was really there. We were just, like, making this an excuse to talk like we were old-fashioned. Be, seriously, be, because when you're, because Christmas is like an old-fashioned holiday, at least for me it always was growing up. Like, we sing these Christmas carols that are really old, and we have these cookie recipes that we eat that are, like, really, really old from, like, great-great-great-grandma. And, like, so, so whenever I would hear this, I'd be like, in my mind, I'd be like, God with us. That's, I'm sure they mean God is with us. But, but they're just being old-fashioned because it's an old-fashioned holiday. Seriously, I thought that. I'm not, not joking. I thought that until I started studying for this sermon. So 27 years. 27 years, I thought people were just being fake old-fashioned. Man. The good news is that the is is actually really important. And we have to do a little Hebrew lesson to understand the impact of what's going on here. So in the Hebrew language, the verb is or to be is usually omitted, which is why we have the parentheses there, which is where we get God with us as opposed to God is with us. The only time they include the word is, is only, it's only when a behavior is specified that divine, defines whatever is displaying said behavior. Does that make sense? Okay, I... I I don't think it does yet. You're a lot of glazed over. And to be fair, it took me like an hour to figure this out myself. So hopefully I can communicate it a little bit better with an example. So um, for those of you that don't know, my wife Becca is sitting up here in the front row. And most of you probably can't see her, but trust me, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And we've been married for over three years. Our baby's coming. We're we're really excited. But um, if you don't know us very well, I can assure you that we are both Americans, white Americans. Uh, but for the next few minutes, we are Hebrews, and you all are Hebrew scribes. And you're writing uh, a book called The Shave Shack Chronicles, chapter one. And uh, you decide to write intro into chapter one. You decide to write, Phil is married to Becca. Now, when you include that word is, you are not referring to the fact that the state of Illinois has a signed marriage license with our names on it that proves we are legally married, okay? We're not talking about the concept of marriage here. You are describing a situation where you witnessed behaviors between f- myself and Becca that we typically associate with married people. So we have wedding rings, okay? We're wearing wedding rings. That's, a, that's an activity. Uh, or hugging or kissing or holding hands or sitting close together in church or having babies. These are things that we typically associate with married people. This is what married people do. So when you say Phil is married to Becca, what you're saying is Phil is actively married to Becca, not conceptually or passively. Really quick, how many of you are actively married to your spouses right now? That's what I'm talking about. Again, another series, another series, but we'll get there. So let's, let's take it back to God for a second. So when we see something like God is our provider, what that means in the Hebrew language is God is busy actively providing for us right now. He's doing something. But again, like I said, Emmanuel lacks the, that word, and it's supposed to. God with us denotes the passive presence of God as opposed to the active presence of God. It's very important. God with us is the 
passive presence of God. And you, like me, I'm sure, are tempted to devalue something like the passive presence of God. That doesn't sound like that's something I'd be interested in. And it makes sense, right? Because let's face it, if we had to pick, we would probably pick something like Elroy, the God who sees, or Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Because we want a God who is actually doing something that we can easily see and interpret and label as, oh, yep, look at him go. There he, there he is. That's God. Yep, he's messing with my mic too. But it's not always like that though, right? Come on, you guys. He's not always easy to see or hear. Now, sometimes that might be us. We might be blinded by our own selfishness or we might be stubborn and not really wanting to listen. But there are definitely times when you might feel like God is silent. You might be in a season right now where you feel like God is silent. You might be in a season right now where you feel like he's nowhere near your neighborhood, not even in your zip code. And friend, if that's you, I have to assure you that though he may seem silent, he is never absent. He's never absent. It doesn't matter what, the, what time it is. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. So who cares about this passive presence? Who cares? Well, we see a very a perfect picture of it, in my opinion, in Genesis 3, 8. Adam and Eve have, had just sinned, taken a bite of the fruit, and God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for them. It goes on to say that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They were not trying, here's what they were doing. They were not trying to skip class that day, folks. They were not trying to skip class that day. God was not trying, God wasn't waiting for them to join him on the walk so that he could teach them how to love people better or how to have more faith, or remind them to be more generous, or serve in church more, or pray more, or read the Bible more, or listen to more worship music. And really quick, I would encourage you to do all of those things with everything that you have, but that's not what he was going for here. He just wanted to spend time with them like he always did. Now, this next part isn't in the Bible. It's just my opinion, but based on how I, liked, I think I would have acted if I was in Adam's position, and we're related, so I, it's, it, it's got to be fairly accurate. I, I have to believe that Adam and Eve would have talked his ear off like little children, constantly asking him questions like, God, why is the sky blue? Why did you make the sky blue, and why are the plants green? And how is it that the fruit tastes so sweet, and why is it that the birds, they have these wings and when they flap them, they can fly. But when I do the same thing, it doesn't work. And that was way funnier than I thought it would be. <laughs> I didn't think it was funny at all. <laughs> uh, or how is it that I can jump only so high before I come back down to earth? Or why is it that, that we have to breathe? Why couldn't you have figured it out a different way to do it? Or wait, hold on. It happens automatically. How does it happen automatically? Or, God, why, why do you spend so much time with us? Out of all your creation, it's so beautiful. It's perfect. Look at it. Can you see it, God? Yeah, I can see it. 
I made it. Um, but God, like, it's so beautiful, but you choose to spend, walk with us every day in the garden. Why do you spend so much time with us? See, now we're getting somewhere, you guys. Emmanuel. God with us. The passive presence of God. God's desire to simply be with his children. To be in relationship with his children. And again, when we talk about Christmas, we like to focus on the miracle of the virgin birth or the angels visiting humans, which is really cool, or the star in the east or the wise men or the prophecies being fulfilled. And those are all great things. Those are necessary things, but nothing is greater. Nothing is more rare than God's desire to simply be in relationship with his children. And you know how I know that? Because because none of that stuff happens. Christmas does not happen at all without Emmanuel doesn't happen without God with us. Christmas doesn't happen unless God desires a relationship with his creation. Because if you remember, back in Genesis, Genesis 3, everything was perfect. And then in Genesis 3, 7, they took a bite of the fruit, and that relationship was severed. And it could have stayed like that, but God decided, no, I want to repair this relationship with my children. And so I'm going to send someone called my son, Emmanuel to repair that relationship, and I'm going to name him something that in the very essence of his name means, tells my kids, lets them know that I just want to be with you. This idea is unique to Christianity. None of the other world religions depict a God or gods that just show up on the scene out of a desire to be with mankind. Okay, sure, many do show up to interact with humans. A lot of religions depict that, but none of them also couple that with the desire to simply be in relationship with mankind. That's unique to the God of the Bible. And this book, this book is full of demonstrations of God's desire to have a relationship with us. I stopped counting at 100. But let's take a look at three very quickly. Proverbs 8, 17. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. That sounds like it. Ephesians 1.4. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That sounds like Emmanuel. And my favorite one, man, I didn't really notice this verse until today, or this week. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That sounds like Emmanuel to me. This type of love is beyond our understanding, and and we don't need to understand it. We just need to trust him. My nephew, Harbor, is going to be two years old in... April, and he's like the cutest kid in the world. You can there he is. Sorry, his blurry brother, his older brother, is in the foreground there. Ryder, um, I love playing with this kid. And he, there's this game. You can go ahead and roll the video. There's this game that he loves to play if it's working. There's this game that he loves to play where you kind of like pick him up, and you toss him on the couch, and then he'll, this is his dad over here on the right, uh, he'll run and jump into his arms. And then he kind of tosses him back on, the, and, and 
he'll just keep doing this over and over again. And this is a very tame version. <laughs> this is a very tame version of the game because normally, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe it's because I'm the uncle, but I like toss him like into the couch and he'll kind of roll around and laugh and laugh and laugh. This kid is fearless, absolutely fearless. And there's one time, I've played this game with him several times, and there's a lot of activity usually going on. There's a dog, and there's Ryder, and, and so I'll be playing this game with him. I'll toss him up on the couch, and he'll roll around and laugh and laugh and laugh, and then Ryder will, like, throw a ball or something, and he can't find it, so I, like, stupidly let Harbor just out of my sight. I turn, and I pick up the ball, and I turn back around to, like, give it to Ryder, and here comes Harbor, like, running and jumping off the couch. <laughs> Because he didn't wait to look to see if anyone was going to catch him. And he does that, like, at least in my experience, like half the time. He won't look at all. Like, he'll just, he'll just run and jump again. And I don't, Morgan will have to validate this for me, Morgan and David. But th- as far as I know, he's never been hurt. He's always been caught. So maybe you might think he's crazy or maybe you think that he just doesn't know any better. And that might be true. He's barely two, but it could be that he's never been dropped. It could be that he doesn't have a problem trusting his dad to the point where he doesn't even have to look. Oh, sure, he doesn't realize that it's only, you know, that it's far enough for him to get hurt. He doesn't fully understand gravity, I suppose. But you know what? And all of you know this, those of you that have kids especially, that that baby does understand on some level that you love them. I know, I know Harbor knows that his dad loves him and his uncle and Uncle Flop loves him. But you know what he doesn't understand? He doesn't understand how much he loves him. But he doesn't have to know, understand. He just trusts him. Whether dad's watching or not. Whether I, whether I check for him to be there or not, I'm just going to run and jump. And how is this relationship, this dichotomy, any different when it comes to our relationship with God? See, something happens where we, like, we grow up and we just lose the ability to trust in something that we don't fully understand. And that's mind-boggling to me because we're born with this inherent ability to do that. Maybe it's because we get too educated. Maybe, and I'm not trying to bash all of that. Please think with reason. Please use this incredible brain that God's given you. But sometimes you've got to get out of your own way. This relationship that Harbor has with his dad or his uncle is the exact same relationship, the same sort of activity that needs to happen between us and God the Father. And that relationship was made possible by the one child that changed everything, Emmanuel. This Christmas isn't just about a baby born in a stable. It's about the inbreak of God the Almighty to, sh- to save the shipwrecked at the stable like me and you. It's about God with us, finally showing up in the flesh in our neighborhood. Which God, do you ask? Well, it's, it's Elohim, right? The God who created you in his own image unique among his creation. And if he created you in his own image, that means he can also be El Roy, the God who sees you and knows you 
everything that you're going through, everything that, you're, that you've been through. And if he created you and he sees you and knows you, then he can definitely be Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for every one of your needs long before you ever ask. And once we start to notice those three, um, we should obviously, I think, be compelled to start living like he is also I am. The God who is always exactly who, whom he claims to be and is not bound by, to our beliefs or opinions of him, thankfully. And when we start to live like that, we will start to increasingly see him as Jehovah Shammah, the, the, the Lord who is there. Always displaying his work in us for the world to see. Which will help us realize, believe, and live like he is Emmanuel. God with us. A God who desires to be in relationship with his children. So the next time you hear the name Emmanuel. Don't just let it pass idly by. Don't just think, oh yeah, God with us. It's way more than that. It's that God. All of him and infinitely more with us.